name is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. I start every podcast by saying all right but usually we've talked for a little while and and stuff like that but tonight I am sitting here uh, talking to uh, Cuba is it Bronowicki is that how you pronounce your last name yeah that's how most people said it in Canada close enough okay how uh how would you say your name in Polish yeah Bronowicki Bronowicki okay that's not, not bad. Hmm. Yeah, it's the typical ski in the end of the Polish last names. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you... Cuba is actually a, it's a short form for, let's say, Jake. Uh, you would translate it as Jacob. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. That's why I've got in the papers, actually, too. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Were you now... Tell me a little bit uh, about yourself. You know, I, you and I have talked for years, but um, but tell tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, uh, I've spent about half of my life in Canada and half of it in Poland with different time periods here and there. Mm-hmm. But I'm currently living in Poland. Uh, I've got into hunting and hounds. Recently, within the past two years, mm-hmm. it's something that always interested me. Interested me since uh, since I was a little kid, and I've always wanted to have a dog. And I've always lived in uh, a rural area where there was always access to the forest, so it was only natural. But I've never had uh, any family members or, or friends who were actually hunters. Mm-hmm. So it was just uh, something that. I've always wanted to do, and since uh, I finally moved permanently to Poland, I've decided to give it a shot. Since yeah. I was, since I finished uh, school and started my started working, became more independent, I decided to uh, to do to do what I wanted to do since since I was a kid. Sure. Uh, so I started. The system here in Poland is compared to the US is a little different. Okay. Uh, where before you become a full-fledged hunter, you have to go through this lengthy process, like in many other European countries, mm-hmm. that will uh, allow you to be a hunter. Uh, so I've started that two years ago. First, you have this one-year-long internship or apprenticeship where you try to, where you first apply to a local hunting club, uh, club and uh, you hope they accept you after you, well, send in your CV mm-hmm. and they uh, <clears throat> invite you for an interview. And if it's if it's a positive result, they invite you for this year long internship, where you uh, get to meet all the other members of the hunting club. Uh, that uh, works in in your local area here. Okay. Uh, you get to participate in the clubs, let's say, 
life where they manage the game and they do all sorts of activities uh, for conservation uh, within their management area, the hunting lease. Okay. Uh, and after that one year, they either approve you or they don't. If you know if they you didn't meet their expectations or uh, they don't really see you as a member of the club, but mm-hmm. I managed to pass. Okay. After that, you have to pass your, well, first you have to do a course. That's about four weekends. Okay. After this course, there is an exam. The exam has uh, three sections. You have a written test, you have an oral test, and then there is a shooting test. Okay. So you have to pass all of those. And after that, you become an official member of the Polish National Hunters Association. But uh, you're you're not a member of any club yet. You're just you just have the papers to be able to to hunt. But to be able to actually go on a hunt, you have to be a member of a hunting club or if there is one way where you uh, can get invited, but you don't have to be a member, but if you know someone who can invite you for okay. just a single hunt, they can, you know, on an invitation basis, you can hunt, but you can go out whenever you feel like it. Okay. The but only do way you have you can to, do that is can I ask a couple of questions real quick before we get farther away? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Shoot. When you have to do this, uh, sort of application process is that for a hunting club or is that for is that for some like the internship process well first you apply for the internship so you have to find you have to do the internship at a local hunting club and you apply to them so you send in your request your CV or more like a personal statement where you just kind of talk about why you want to uh, become a hunter and uh, do this internship. Yep. And uh, they have to approve you uh, and take you in for this one year long process. If you're having trouble with that, for example, for some reason, you've applied to many local hunting clubs in your area and I don't know, they don't want to take you in. Uh, a secondary option is you apply to the, let's say, like the regional office or the regional uh, director of, of of the hunting clubs in the area, yep. and they have to because and they have to um, send you for this internship to one of their. Um, it's called an OHAZET. It's like a, um, it's like some of the best or some of the primary hunting grounds are managed by by these higher up uh, offices or okay. usually associated with the forestry uh, service. Mm-hmm. So they send you in to, to do this internship within one of those, uh, one of those regions that they manage. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not the best option because uh, it's always better if you get into one of the local hunting clubs, because it's in the end, uh, you want to, you know, show yourself and meet the people uh, here 
where you will be after this whole process and after the exams applying to to be able to hunt on the right. lease that they manage. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, then you take this uh, four-weekend course and then you have to reapply to to get into these clubs or can you take the course and just continue with the club that maybe you were asked to be a part of after the year? How does that work? So the internship, it's just one part of the whole process. So after you finish that, you basically have the right to apply for the course and do the exam. But uh, it's like the, the club approves your internship and you're done with them, basically. Like after that, after you're a full-fledged hunter, you have to reapply, like you said. Okay. Uh, but you're not applying for the internship. You're reapplying to be a hunter, to be a member of the, let's say, local chapter of the local hunting club here. Okay, gotcha. Yep, that's what I was curious about. Cool. So what, when you went through that process, what made you... Why did you choose a hound instead of, you know, a, a bird dog? You know, people, I think a lot of people think of Europe and they think definitely more, you know, spaniels, um, you know, pointing, you know, pointers, German wire hair, drawtars, things like that. What made you not do that and choose to go for a hound instead? Well, first, I'd like to mention that I really got into hunting because of the dogs. Mm -hmm. Like I said, since I was a kid, my dream, my dream was to have a dog and the hunting was the additional part or something that interested in me, uh, you know, with the dog, to do it with the dog. So during my internship, I actually got a hound. So even before I became a hunter, I already had a hunting dog and I was planning my hunting future with the dog in mind. Okay. <laughs> and I chose a hound. Well, first of all, it's after doing a lot of research while still even before applying for the internship. Uh, usually, uh, I was still living in Canada. I was looking up uh, some of the coonhound breeds or the plot hounds. And it really just stuck with me the way um, hunting with hounds worked. Yep. But one of the biggest reasons is uh, you got to choose a dog for the hunting lease that you have or for the game that is within your management region. So uh, here where we hunt in the Sudeten Forland or the big, just, or just at the northern tip of the Sudeten Mountains, uh, what we really uh, have in our uh, hunting lease are wild boar, roe deer, and the transient population of red deer. There's not a lot of uh, small game. We do have pheasants, we do have hares, but not that much. And it's all got to do with uh, the fact that in the 70s or 80s, where the situation was totally reversed in the entirety of Poland, there was a huge surplus of small game. There were tons of hares, tons of pheasants. Uh, and that was to do with the way mostly agriculture back then worked, that the okay. uh, fields 
were much smaller in area. There was much more variety in the types of uh, crops that people grew. And these small fields were cut up with uh, these uh, little forests and bushes and and, uh, river streams. So it was a very good habitat for for small game. Mm -hmm. But with the coming of the more advanced agricultural techniques and the monocultural huge fields of corn and canola and wheat, Mm -hmm. the habitat for small game really got ruined. But uh, it was a really good uh, food source for the the big game. So wild boars and deer species. Sure. And the population grew, whereas the small game population declined. So right now we have a, uh, like I said, we mostly hunt a wild boar and roe deer and mm-hmm. red deer. Okay. So a hound was a perfect choice to uh, either for an individual hunt, because we can do individual hunts uh, with a dog or in the fall and winter season, uh, driven hunts are also mainly focused on red deer and wild boar so it's also uh where hounds shine sure so naturally a hound was a good choice for me okay (laughs) or so i figured because it's always that your first hound really teaches you more than you can teach him but it was a good choice right that's cool okay is there is there like a here in norway we've got like a height limit for you know roe deer uh uh uh, hounds that can hunt roe deer need to be, you know, so and so small. Is there anything like that there? Is that is that what sort of distinguishes or determines what kind of hound you're going to use on these driven hunts, or is that more of just a, a cultural thing? How is how does that work? No, well, there's no height limit, but you we've got a limit on what we can hunt actually. So roe deer, unfortunately, uh, you're not able to hunt them with a dog, or you're not allowed to do it sometimes obviously in driven hunts where the pack of dogs pushes through a a region they can push out roe deer Mm -hmm. and they sometimes do get shot but the only species you can hunt with a dog officially and legally are wild boar red deer and predators so foxes uh, raccoon dogs and these sort of uh, species Right for so uh, for the listeners who don't know, there's a there's a small type of canine in um, parts of Europe that that is colored very similarly to a uh, a raccoon, and that's what you're referring to as the raccoon dog. Um, yeah, exactly. Those are uh, those are cool little dogs, and you guys actually are getting some. Um, which part of Poland do you live in? Like where where are you situated? I live in the southwestern part of Poland, like I said, just on the edge of the Sudeten Mountains. So everything north of us are flatlands, and the closest biggest city is Wrocław. Uh, south of us is are the Sudeten Mountains, or the main the main mountain range, and we border with Czech Republic. Okay, gotcha. And you guys are getting some interesting species kind of moving in on you guys, on you in recent, yeah, really just kind of recent months. 
Yeah, we've got uh, a very dynamic situation with, uh, interestingly enough, uh, raccoons, yep. which are coming in by the by the drove from uh, from Germany. Uh, right now, they've settled pretty much uh, the entirety of the Oder River, which is the the river is basically the border with uh, Germany. So they they've settled the the banks and the forests surrounding the river well, a few years back, but they've been steadily and very quickly expanding eastward. So uh, I just yesterday I sent you a picture of the first raccoon track I've seen in in our area. Yeah, but that I've, was cool. I've had signals. Yeah, I've had signals, and I've seen uh, some of my friends who hunt in adjacent uh, leases. They've sent me pictures of uh, raccoons that they've already shot. So I already knew they were here. It's yep. just we, in my hunting club, nobody uh, got the chance to uh, to hunt one. But maybe we're just not used to that looking up on trees yet. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's really cool, though. Are the raccoons, are those native species to Europe? Or is that something that was imported? How did they, how did they get there? Uh, from some of the literature I studied, um, it's a it's a leftover from the fur trade, or at least they tried to. They've imported uh, raccoons to mostly Germany, where they uh, wanted to uh, breed them or have them for their fur to later sell it. But uh, during World War II. There were a few cases where some of the bigger, uh, bigger uh, places where they were held uh, got destroyed and they ran off into the environment. And other times there were just simple cases where they escaped or were just uh, not, uh, it didn't work out, so people released them. And since they're a very adaptable animal, they've... Uh, They've adapted and their population has grew a lot and they've established themselves uh, here in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, something uh, that I've, some statistics that I've looked up uh, not too long ago was uh, in the early 2000s, so about 20 years ago, in Germany, in all of Germany, they've shot uh, around 2,000 raccoons. And now, just uh, last year, they've shot over 100,000 a year. Wow. wow. So, and uh, from the same uh, year that they've shot 100,000 in Poland, they've shot around 2,000. So thinking, <laughs> looking uh, at the statistics, maybe in, in 20 years, we'll also be having uh, such a huge population. Although seeing how much or how fast they're expanding, it might be actually even earlier. Right. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy that they've established themselves that quickly there. Because, I mean, like, yeah, realistically, it's, uh, it's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's crazy. Because, I mean, that's to establish themselves. I mean, even, 
even say a hundred years has gone by. That's still just shocking that there's that many of them there just from, you know, escaping from fur farms. That's, that's really, that's really interesting. So do you yeah, have a, a, coo- a coon hound? What, what kind of, what kind of hound do you have? Well, I have a two year old Polish hunting dog. That's what's the, that's what the English uh, translation is. Okay. Or a Polish sight, uh, Polish scent hound, Polish hunting dog. It's a it's a medium sized hound, usually black and tan. Can be also chocolate or or red, but mm-hmm. those are very very rare. Uh, they're they're very uh, athletic in a sense uh, that they're very uh, kind of lean, athletic looking dogs. Uh, Compared to, for example, the Polish hound, which is another breed of hound native to, to Poland, but uh, it's very similar to to the Russian hound that you have, and I believe the they have they are uh, probably of the same stock because the Polish hounds originated from what is now uh, Belarus, and okay. I know in Belarus and Russia and in Poland. Uh, these types of dogs are used in the Polish hound. And Polish hounds are uh, much heavier. Mm, they, they're not so lean and they're a little bit bigger. They're, they're like closer to, let's say, a bloodhound, but not as heavy as a bloodhound. Uh, I've decided on a Polish hunting dog. Uh, like I said, I didn't have anyone to introduce me. So I was doing all of my research on my own, reading, uh, talking to people, watching some different uh, videos and materials. Mm-hmm. I've decided on a Polish hunting dog because uh, I figured that even though they're smaller, uh, the athletic built and lighter weight would probably be more beneficial than uh, than the heavier built uh, Polish hound. Yep. And especially taking into consideration uh, the place where they originated from. Like I said, Polish hound originated from the, well, back then Polish, but now in Belarus, lowlands, the forest in, in Belarus, which is really flat. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Polish hunting dog originated from the southeastern part of Poland, which is uh, where the Carpathian Mountains are present. So it was a typical mountain dog. It was a little bit shorter, much lighter, also built for stamina and speed. And that's something I was looking for in a dog, especially since here we also live uh, within the Sudeten mountain range and some of the thickets and the hilly area here where the dogs uh, are chasing uh, a very dangerous game which is wild boar i I, th- I thought it would be beneficial to have a lighter faster more agile dog right yeah i think that that uh that sounds like sound reasoning to me yeah for sure so um but to be fair the polish hounds although bigger heavier they also do quite well even in the mountains they're a little bit less popular now but there are some very dedicated people who are working on uh, making the breed uh, more popular and especially uh, making the breed once again 
be popular among hunters. So it would be a working. It is a working breed. Uh, that's uh, that's also a very good, very good hound. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Wow. There's a lot. Um, it always fascinates me. You know, you think of when people hear hound, they think automatically of the United States, and and you know, you get the sort of picture of. You know, most people get the picture of a, a walker or a blue tick or a red bone or something like that. But, you know, it's fascinating to me, having kind of gotten into it a little bit over here, how many hound breeds there are in mainland Europe. It's, it's, there's, I think about every country has their own breed of hound, which is really cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. Um, sometimes the breeds are very similar, and it's a matter of, uh, I think, a little bit uh, of nationalism. That's why every country has its own breed, although um, geographically the countries are close and the breeds look similar. For example, like um, the Polish hunting dog looks very similar to the Slovakian Kopov or the Slovakian hound. Right. Um, the Polish hound looks very similar to the uh, you know, Russian hound that, that you have, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, it's the, the history and the variety of breeds present in Europe is definitely associated with the history of European countries, even the Polish breeds, which we have currently, I would say five and a half. And I'll get to the point why a half we have the, um, Polish uh, lowland sheepdog, the Polish tetra sheepdog, so two shepherd breeds. We have the Polish uh, greyhound, which uh, for some reason you have to have a special uh, permission to breed it or to own that breed. And really, wow. the breed is a hunting dog, but par forest hunting in Poland is illegal. So. Polish uh, greyhounds are not work are not a working breed anymore, which is very sad. You have the Polish hunting dog, which I own. Mm-hmm. You have the heavier Polish hound, which both have very interesting histories, because, of course, like I said, history matters. World War II nearly, where Poland was occupied, nearly destroyed the uh, the two breeds that. They went extinct almost. Yeah. But luckily, uh, there were two colonels actually. One that was originally from where Belarus is now, when it was still Poland before the partition, and one from the Bieszczady Mountains, which is part of the Carpathian Range in the southeast. And the one, both of them were breeding their own hounds. One was the lighter type and one was the heavier type. In 1964, actually, the International Kennel Federation or the, the uh, actually registered the Polish hound, the heavier one. Okay. But the Polish hunting dog was actually registered with the Polish hound because they were treated as the same, although physically and the way they hunted was very different. But they were treated for some reason... Uh, uh, as the same breed, but after a few years where uh, breeding between them 
wasn't really working out and it was really obvious that those two types of dogs are just different breeds they finally uh, they finally registered very late uh, very late the polish hunting dog as a separate breed but okay. they were saved by these turk colonels who were hunters and who uh, saved the breeds from extinction because they they loved the dogs and they bred them and the last one is a very it's a modern breed that someone tried to uh, kind of bring back to life because in the 18th and 19th century um like you said spaniels and pointers were are popular in europe so some of the nobles also had these spaniels and after a bunch of years you know back then in medieval times or even like 18th century 19th century mm -hmm. the the dogs that did the job they were interbred and this sort of local spaniel breed was uh, was made that went really uh, extinct after World War II. But uh, there was this gentleman who, in modern times, went around some of the old Polish lands in Belarus and Lithuania and found the these spaniel dogs that were in the type, that they were the type of, uh, they looked like those dogs from the past that were Polish spaniels. Mm -hmm. And he started breeding them again, and they are in this early phase of acceptance by this uh, international kennel federation so there is a okay. polish hunting spaniel that is currently being let's say refined or brought back to life uh, sure so we wow. have these breeds wow that's crazy that's crazy it's it's amazing to me that some people do that you know we've got similar things with the with the huskies as well with people who have sort of found historical references to a type of dog and have been in now in the process for several years of trying to recreate that breed. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting prospect. I don't know. I honestly don't know it totally how I feel about it. It takes such a huge amount of work. And even, even if you do it, I, I I'm skeptical to the whether the breed is going to actually be the same as what you're trying to recreate. You know, I'm not I'm not sure. It might be a little bit different with something that's actually been around, um, you know, within living memory, you know, um, or you know, within documented history. You know, it's not just some random you know, reference to something from medieval times, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. I mean, you can't be certain that's going to be exactly as it was, or even if there was an exact standard back then, but it definitely takes a huge amount of dedication. Um, but funny enough, I remember in the last episode, you were, you talked with uh, Bob Plot, mm -hmm. by the way, a great guy. I'd love to meet him one day or go to Plot Fest. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> but it's, be funny really cool that, uh, that. it's funny that uh, you guys talked about, I believe you are having some trouble with uh, registering your, your new plot hound within the Norwegian Kennel Club because even sometimes you said that Although the plot hounds have like 200 years of history and 
true, they descend from the Bavarian mountain hounds, but you've had some trouble because uh, the kennel club treated them as sort of a mixed breed. <laughs> yeah, that's been the darndest thing is that, you know, I, I have genetics uh, on this pup that go back, you know, as basically as far as you would want to trace them, you know, back to the, you know, the early 1900s, late 1800s, you know, so ge- many, 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 many generations of dogs. And, um, you know, the dogs he, that he goes back to were amongst the first ones registered in the AKC um, back in the day. And yeah, they just, uh, for whatever reason, Norway has decided that the Norwegian Kennel Club has decided that um, they are going to, yeah, be different from everybody, everybody else, uh, or you know, most of the bigger kennel clubs. So, you know, they'll they'll go to, you know, they, they can end up in a scent hound category and be competing against breeds that they don't recognize as breeds. Which is if they go into international, you know. Um, uh, whatever you call them, pageants, shows, which to me is absurd. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you've got a lot of these small, small breeds of dogs or, you know, the like local breeds of dogs that it can get, it can be really, really difficult to get them, to get them, registered in these different kennel clubs because you know like if you're the american kennel club why why would you have any interest in you know registering the you know three baracks for example that are in the united states there's no point you know but here in norway where you've got your starting to get you know there's a lot of people now who have um walkers and blue ticks in america especially american foxhounds are there's quite a few of those over here and none of the hound breeds um none of the american hound breeds are are recognized over here as legitimate breeds yeah for me it's also absurd especially that even for the international kennel uh, federation uh, like the Polish hound was in a very dire situation in terms of the genetic makeup because there were not that many uh, individuals to continue uh, the breeding. So as a fun fact, uh, there is a program uh, that's official mm-hmm. uh, where they've added uh, black and tan coonhound blood to the Polish hound to give some more genetic variety. Right. And uh, same with the Polish hunting spaniel. It's such a work in progress in in its infancy where they've actually have to add in some other spaniel, official spaniel breeds to to mix it up and uh, have a healthy breed in the future. So even within these official international organizations, you have... uh, these programs that allow for some mixing in. And here where you have a breed that's established for so many years, they uh, give issues because 
I don't know why. It's 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 an issue with many of the American breeds. Yeah. The is. only one that's actually registered within the International Kennel Club is the Black and Tan Kuhnhound. The rest of them are not recognized. That's cra- That's so crazy to me. That's just so crazy to me that that's that that's the case. You know, it's it's yeah, man, that's that's so insane. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and it's you know the 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 thing about it is that it's if they were consistent, then I wouldn't have an issue with it. Like it would irritate me, and I would probably or that's not true. I it would still irritate me, but if they were like if they were consistent with every breed that there were a consistent set of, you know, circumstances and a consistent set of documentation that they would need to be registered or recognized as a breed, then I wouldn't have any real issue with it. I would understand it, at least understand the reasoning. What flabbergasts me about this whole thing right now is that nobody can give me a good reason why. It's just like, well, that's always how it's been. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not really a reason. It's, you know, the, that, well, the plot hound is not registered, recognized as a breed here because it's never been recognized as a breed here. It's like, it's a, it's a non-answer. Um, so it's, I, I, and especially when you've got the, like you say, you know, the, the Polish spaniel and the Polish, um, the Polish hound and, you know, here in Norway, you've got the, the dunker and the Hugen hound and the Hamilton hound and the Halden hound where all of all of those breeds have brought in other hounds to freshen up the genetics so you have ha- like documented half breeds that are registered as something they're re- you know registered um dunkers that are half finnish hound which then it ju- it just gets too stupid to me. Like I, I understand why you would want to freshen up the blood. And I think that those dogs, you know, absolutely can be registered as, as the original thing, but you know, you can't say that and then be like, but your dog with 200 years of documentation. No, I'm sorry. Your dog is a, is your dog's, you know, grandfather to the 10th power was a mixed breed from the mountains of Germany. So we're sorry. It just, it makes no sense to me. Yeah, me neither. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame for, uh, it's a detriment for the breed and it's a, you know, it's a problem for the handlers who are interested in them because, uh, up until recently, you're not allowed to participate in any official competitions unless you here in Poland, obviously, unless your mm, breed that you're running is registered within the international federation. Okay. So. Wow. That's, that's crazy to me. So apart from, I I guess we'll move on from the bureaucratic frustration (laughs) over the bureaucratic stuff. Tell me a little bit about, uh, tell me about your hound. What are, what are you doing with him? Are you hunting, are you hunting wild boar? Are you hunting Fox? Are you like, what are, what are you hope mostly focusing on with him? So, uh, like I've said, it's a little, little bit of a different system than, or a much different system. And I don't know how it is in Nor- Norway, but definitely different than in America um, because of the lack of uh, 
public land or because of the fact that in Europe the population density is so high. Uh, here in Poland, the whole country is divided into these hunting leases that the different uh, hunting clubs lease from the government. So we're always uh, we're only allowed to hunt within our lease unless we get invited uh, to a different one for just one outing. So like I said, what we have here in my hunting lease are yeah. wild boar, roe deer, and red deer. What I'm doing, because the season for hunting with a dog is from August 15th until the end of January, uh, what I do when, or what I'm going to try to do, because uh, for now I've been training my dog, like I said, he's going to be two years old, and I've just got my uh, hunting permission and I, I was accepted as a member of the local hunting club just this past November. Okay. So wow. until I'm waiting for the next season, but what I plan to do is do a lot of individual hunting with him. So we will go out on our revere mm -hmm. and uh, just plan to uh, run some wild boar and hopefully he will, you know, cold trail eventually find the boar, bay them up, uh, make them stay in one place, and we'll be able to, uh, to, to hunt them. That's, a, that's the plan. And, and what, I want, what I'm doing in preparation for that is, uh, well, in 2018, there was a very bad uh, law that passed that this allowed hog pens or training with wild animals in Poland. And as well, this allowed kids or everyone under 18 participating in hunting, which was a huge blow. Mm -hmm. But since we're not allowed to train with uh, wild and with live animals, which includes wild boars in a, in a pen fenced in area. Okay. I plan to visit uh, Slovakia, which is, uh, uh, still where it's still allowed uh, for this to happen. So I plan to take my dog into this uh, wild boar pen so he has contact with a boar in a rather safe environment and he can uh, gain some experience for the upcoming season. Sure. And uh, the other activity that we're focusing on is blood tracking. It's a useful skill. To have when you're out hunting individually, even if you're out hunting for roe deer without a dog and you happen to wound game and you need to find it, it's good to have a dog that's uh, able to help you localize the, uh, the game. So we've been practicing a lot, laying different uh, blood tracks uh, at least once a week and doing various difficulties changing up the length, changing up the amount of uh, turns you do. Mm -hmm. And we've been practicing hard blood tracking in the off-season as, as an off-season activity as well to, to keep them fit and mentally uh, mentally like active. Yeah, okay. We were, last year, we were able to even participate in, a, in an international comp in two competitions, actually. Once we didn't do so well, uh, where we had the unfortunate uh, meeting with a judge that uh, 
really blew our spirits. Yeah, you told <laughs> me about I think that. Bob did a that good was, job. That was uh, that was unfortunate. You guys, you guys got stuck with a, you know, excuse me, but complete shithead. <laughs> he just he yeah, just he messed was. you guys. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, he messed you guys up big time and. Yeah, it was super critical about you and and your hound. And I remember you talked, we talked right afterwards. And I was just like, geez, just do not, I, don't, don't listen to this guy. It's just like, what a, what a jerk. Yeah, he really put us down, I think, uh, especially for a new, uh, a new member to the sport. Uh, I don't think he, uh, he did anyone a service, uh, uh, with his attitude uh, but uh, we continued training we got back from it and we mm, took part in an international competition that was held here in Poland but it, it was it had international status and uh, we actually did we were judged uh, we got second place uh, I was able to get an extra award for being the best handler during the competition and it was it was uh, great to to hear that the time and effort we've put in and what we're doing is is in the right direction so right. oh of course yeah. we were yeah it was a it's a good day and so other than uh, other than other than actually training blood tracking we this year uh, we also plans to participate in uh, different uh, competitions for blood tracking as well as later on in the season uh, you can do a competition during a a natural hunt that a judge will also award you a certificate or will judge you uh, on the dog's uh, work on an individual hunt on wild boar mm -hmm. but unfortunately there is a big discourse between the Polish Hunting Association and the Polish Kennel Club that happened at the beginning of the year and all competitions are currently cancelled and that uh, ruined that part of our uh, part of our plan for uh, preparing for the season. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. What is the conflict about? Um, well, you know, when you when it really boils down to is is money. Okay. Um, yeah. The Polish Hunting Association, when these competitions were organized, always by the by the Hunting Association. So they they invited the the judges. They paid for the judges. They laid down the tracks, or they prepared the scene for the uh, for the driven hunt uh, or the natural hunt. Uh, competitions mm -hmm. they've put in all the effort but the polish kennel club which is the representative of the international federation kennel federation here in poland uh, they only uh, kind of you know gave their stamp that it's official and the results were uh, were uh, you know accepted in all countries that had the international kennel club that were members of the international kennel club so pretty much all of europe Mm -hmm. or most of Europe. Uh, but so the Polish uh, Hunting Association made new, uh, they made the new uh, competition rules that were more, more closely, closely related to how it works in practice mm -hmm. in, 
in the natural setting. Yeah. And they wanted that right now you have to be a member of the Polish Kennel Club to participate in these competitions. So they wanted uh, they wanted hunters that are members of the hunting association. They didn't want them, or if you didn't want to be part of the Polish Kennel Club, because you have to pay a yearly and annual fee, mm-hmm. they wanted that to be removed since all members of the hunting association should be able to participate in competitions that they organize regardless of their membership in a kennel organization. Right. But okay. obviously yeah. they they didn't uh, agree, so they didn't accept the new uh, the new regulations, the new competition plans, and uh, in return, the Polish Hunting Association cancelled all competitions uh, for an indeterminate indeterminate amount of time. Okay. And right now. Each organization is trying to organize themselves to make their own competitions. <laughs> so they're training their own judges and they're trying to make a calendar for new events separately. Okay. So we'll see how, how it's going to turn <laughs> out. <laughs> but oh, right now, a, uh, we can't do anything about it. What a pain. What a pain that is. And that's, that's another interesting thing, it, another interesting thing that happened recently is a very controversial move, uh, where the Polish Hunting Association will allow mixed breeds or breeds that are not, you know, not in any registered in any organization to participate in their competitions. Okay. So you know how it is in Europe where people are crazy about the purity of their breed and papers. So it's a very very hot topic right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I I can see that. I can see that. It is funny how people get really bent out of shape about stuff like that. I had um, had a, uh, yeah, so many people commented when I got a mixed breed hound, you know, just like just out of the blue we're just like not they were just not about it which is totally fine but it was you know it it struck me as kind of funny how upset people got about it you know and i've got i've got a friend who's just done a really cool breeding um that he's really excited about, but he's almost afraid to tell anybody about it. Cause he's, you know, he's just like aware that he's just, it's a mixed breed. Uh, and he's aware that he's just going to get the crap beat out on, on social media. Are you talking about, uh, Eric Partolo or no, 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 Eric, Eric doesn't care. <laughs> Eric, Eric doesn't care what other people th- think about what he does with his hounds. No, he's, uh, Eric has always done his own thing. Uh, with his with his hounds and, and has created something that is so irrefutably good that it, it's hard to argue with the guy you know like I'm sure when he first did it he got a lot of crap for it and, you know I in fact I know that he did but you know at this point those dogs are so good that it's 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 just impossible to 
to dispute that they that he yeah knows knows what he's doing. Um. Yeah, I remember in the episode with uh, with the guru of small game Kevin Murphy. Yeah, he was uh, also really impressed with uh, Eric's dogs. Yeah, I mean it's hard not to be really. You know, they're just they're such quality. They're such quality animals, and they're so good. I mean, they're so good at what they do. And, you know, they and Eric work so well together that it's hard to dispute the results that they get. And it's hard to, you know, hard to, you know, hard to say that what he's doing, that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing because his dogs are putting, you know, consistently putting as many animals on the ground as uh, anybody else that I know. Um, And I, I know quite a few people at this point. So... Um, no, he did it's, it, uh, go ahead. He, um, you told me that, uh, the choices for breeding he, he made, uh, were because of the, uh, wolf situation in Norway. Uh, well, he's over in Sweden, but, but yeah, there Absolutely. was a, there was an issue where, uh, a lot of the hounds in his area were kind of getting munched by, by the wolves there and he needed something that was he it was either to stop you know it was either to stop completely or or get something that was not going to immediately be killed um and he had a uh, I'm, I'm gonna need to get him on the on the podcast uh we talk about it all the time i talk to him you know almost daily we talk hounds almost daily and yet like it's the craziest thing i've not had him on the podcast on the podcast yet. So Eric, if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm coming for you here because we gotta, we gotta tell this story, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear it. Looking forward to it. Yeah. He's a, he's a cool, cool dude with some really cool dogs. Um, but yeah, I think he took a lot of, a lot of flack for that early, early on when he did it. But at this point, you know, the dogs are just so darn good. It's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to take issue with any of it. Um, it's, it's something to, uh, consider, I guess for me as well, because the, currently the wolf situation in Poland is also a heated topic. Yeah. You've gotten some wolves moving into your, into your territory. Yeah. Uh, recently, just in the, middle of March, we've had a series of uh, attacks on livestock. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe two times uh, there were just uh, two sheep of two different farmers that were killed. And later there was actually a whole herd killed. There were, I believe, 17 sheep. Yeah, you told and me about that. That's crazy. Yeah, 13. That's unbelievable. 13 were killed, three were injured, and one was left uh, uninjured. And 12 out of those 13 were actually pregnant. So it was a huge loss to the farmer. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wow. We've never, we've never, um, not never, but in the recent history, we didn't have wolves in our area. But ever since, uh, 
they've became uh, they went on the protective list as an endangered species uh, and you couldn't uh, hunt them or control their population uh, they really their population really exploded and it's becoming an issue with uh, especially in certain areas because here they're just at the tip of their range so they're just expanding into it right especially into the mountains okay but in some of the uh, areas in the east and north where there's primary hunting grounds mm -hmm. there's a big problem with uh, how much pressure they're putting on uh, the deer population the uh, livestock uh, of people even even if dogs are uh, on the outside in a in a kennel they, they they can or not in the kennel but you know yeah yeah they there have been many incidents of dogs being killed on your porch sure by by wolves yeah yep. but unfortunately it's such a um, pet animal of these activists that it's uh, very hard to do anything about it even though for example in Scandinavia or Slovakia or other surrounding countries uh, they have a healthy approach and they are able to you know reduce the population right regulate it by yeah. by hunting and keep it in a, at a proper level because Everyone wants wolves in the environment. They're part of the environment. They, I'm happy that uh, their population grew enough that they're back within their old range. But that population has to definitely be kept uh, within moderation. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's what you know. What we're talking about is not total extermination. What we're talking about is common sense common sense wildlife management and you know at this point i i do not believe that it's feasible even if even if it was possible i don't even know that it is um i don't think it's realistic to expect that we can go back to pre industrial revolution kind of like pre levels of predators um, or not even pre, you know, pre, we can't go back to the levels of predators that were, that were around, you know, in the United States 200 years ago here, you know, a thousand years ago, you know, it's, it's just the, it's not, the ecosystem is not set up for it anymore. And you know, where you had a balance before you have a very, very bad balance now where, you know, like in the United States and I know here in Norway that, you know, one of the, one of the things is that they are having bigger and bigger litters because the amount of game that the amount of small game and, you know, and the ungulates, you know, the, 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 the deer has increased to such extreme levels because they've been their main predators have been absent from the from the landscape for so long and if you introduce them back now you're going to end up with this just extreme boom of super predators that just don't 
you know, they're they're not going to read the rules and regulations. They're they're gonna take what's the easiest thing available. And you know, if I had to choose between taking on a full grown red stag or an elk and the fat Labrador down the street, I would definitely take the fat Labrador down the street. <laughs> Yeah, and as a side effect of the increasing wolf population with some of the older and older hunters and very experienced, you could even say professional driven uh, hunt, uh, well, hunters or some people who actually uh, have a pack of dogs, pack of hounds that they uh, actually, uh, let's say, get paid for going to certain areas and you know using their pack to push a driven hunt for a hunting club Mm -hmm. what these people noticed is that as a result a lot of the like i said the main query is wild boar and red deer but a lot of the wild boar have learned and adapted to the increased predator pressure from the wolves and there is in the past two years, there has been a huge increase in a lot of the dogs or uh, hounds used for driven hunts or even individual hunts being injured or killed because the wild boar have also adapted and the weak ones have perished and the ones that are able to defend themselves are the real, really dangerous ones that are left. Right. It's survival of the fittest. And that makes total sense to me that you're then going to have a, you know, you're going to have an animal that is, it's like the moose in Alaska. You know, I I can count on my hands the number of times in, since I moved to Norway 15 years ago that I, that I've heard of that a dog has been attacked or that a dog, a, a moose and a dog has run into conflict here in the sense that, you know, outside of actual moose hunting, you know, um, where, you know, a dog, a sled dog team was attacked by, by a moose or something like that. But that happens all the time in Alaska. And it's because of that. It's because they've learned that, you know, the only way to defend themselves is to immediately go on the offensive, uh, with the wolves. And, you know, that's, that's the thing is people, people want them back. They want, it's sort of, was it Dan Flores or Actually, can't remember. I think it was Dan Flores who who coined the term charismatic megafauna, where it's you know it's it's the it's the animal that you know is the poster child for these anti anti hunters who don't I. Th- think unfortunately don't fully understand what they are advocating because I don't think anybody's going to be happy to have a pack of wolves, you know, hunting outside the kindergartens. It's just not going to work. Exactly. You know, and exactly. But it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing, and it's also interesting to me, you know, the that that it it seems to be a consistent problem, really, wherever they wherever they are. It's a problem that, without really any differences, 
you know, the hound, the hound hunting is different here in Norway versus the United States or versus there in, in Poland. Um, you know, the game can be a little bit different. The way we go about it can be a little bit different, but the thing that we, that the United States, Norway and Poland all have in common is an issue with an issue with wolves that manifests itself pretty much in the exact same way, which is pretty interesting. Another issue, or I think that's something that's, uh, that affects only Europe. Although in Scandinavia, I believe you guys don't have it yet is African swine fever where, uh, we are just here where I live. We're on the edge of where the zones for African swine fever are mm-hmm. and it's uh it's destroying the it's a virus that's destroying the wild boar population so um keeping my fingers crossed that uh, all my training and the young hound i have <laughs> we will have the opportunity to still hunt wild boar because like i said we're right on the edge african swine fever right uh is expanding into Western Europe. It came from came from the east to us in 2000, 2014. From uh, the first case was across the border with Belarus. Okay, but it's uh, it spread uh, up to here, and from what I've seen, it uh, wipes out the population entirely. But uh, in some of the regions in Poland in the east, where it hit first. What we can see now after, let's say, five or six years is that the wild boar population is steadily rising. So okay. luckily, it's it's an issue that it seems that, you know, you have to deal with at the moment, but it's not an uh, end to to everything. Right. And it but sounds yeah, like it's you've an got... issue we have to deal with right now. Right. And it sounds like you've got some other some other things moving in that might be interesting to hunt as well. You know, so it'd be really interesting. It's going to be really interesting to hear what happens when you get, um, when you get your hound onto some raccoon, because it sounds like that's just a matter of time. That's an area I've been actually theory crafting of expanding to, because if it's possible and if it's going to be legal, then Definitely, I would love to do it. But that's the thing. Uh, whether someone's going to think about it and whether some the government or whether they're going to make it legal. Because you know how it is in Europe. It's uh, every country, every state has its own laws and uh, different ideas. So you can take something good from good and bad from each place. But mm. fingers crossed that they will allow it. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. That is going to be exciting to to follow. Well, Kuba, we I think we could keep talking pretty much all night, but it is eleven over eleven o'clock, and you have an infant in your house, so I might let you get some sleep here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do, but we could definitely talk the the night through. Absolutely, I think it's uh, the one of the 
benefits of being a houndsman is it's just endlessly, endlessly fascinating to talk about hounds. But um, well, thank you for the invite. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. It's been really interesting to hear how things are done in in Poland. I don't think, you know, even even houndsmen, I don't necessarily think would, you know, consider that hound hunting is alive and well and in Poland. It's really, really cool to hear. You know, when I found you uh, through the podcast, it's because uh, you are unique in the fact that podcasts are mostly an American thing from what I've noticed. Mm -hmm. And you've had some European guests and I've seen some, I think, all of the European guests, except... uh, obviously from Scandinavia and your podcast, but we're from Germany. So I guess that's something unique <laughs> that we could talk about. Uh, Absolutely. How it's done here. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so much fun for me to talk to guys over here because there, there is a different, there's a different perspective and a different attitude, you know, when you th- like, like we sort of started on when with the podcast started, people think of hounds and I think they think of the United States. They think of, you know, they think of the Fox and the hound. They think of, you know, old pickup truck with that bloodhound bang in the backseat, you know, stuff like that. It, it's, it's become such an easily recognizable part of American culture that I think it's really easy for people to forget that, you know, every breed of American hound apart from the plot came from came out of the English coon, uh, English foxhound and the plot came out of, you know, the, uh, there's multiple possibilities of where, you know, the, what breeds went into the plot originally way, way, way back in the 1700s. But, you know, the, the hound culture in the United States is so rich and so yeah, easily identifiable. Uh, as American, that it's easy to forget that there's been a culture for breeding and hunting hounds in Europe for, you know, 10 times as long as there has been in the United States. It's just not the thing you necessarily think of uh, when you think of hounds. So it's, it's, I'd like to get more uh, European guys on the podcast just because they, you know, I, it's a, it's a different perspective and it's also, there's a, there's a culture and a history there that is so, so rich. And I, I think in a lot of places in Europe, um, you know, England, for example, the, you know, it should almost be a cautionary tale to the United, the houndsmen in the United States that, if you're not on your game, they might just take it away from you. Yeah, definitely. Right now, the American conservation or wildlife management model is probably the best in the world. And uh, you got to fight to keep it as it is or, or make it even better because it's in the modern day days, it's, it's becoming harder and harder. Yeah. No, it is. Well, I hope to see you one day here for a hunt for some would love good to do food, that culture <laughs> sightseeing and, and a, i guess a trip to slovakia 
for that would be fun <laughs> for a hog band. That would be a lot right of fun. <laughs> All right, Kuba. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks again, and good night. Good night. Man, I love that sound.